Well, I think um, most of you have gotten a good picture of George, and, you know, and everyone has their own uh, memories of this man, myself included. He had a lot of friends, dear friends, close friends, dozens and dozens and dozens, not acquaintances, but people that he could call on and help do anything for him. And uh, I think the reason for that is because he was that person. Anyone could call him uh, and get help and get assistance, unconditional, fiercely loyal, a man of integrity, scrupulously honest. I asked him how to cheat on my taxes one time when I was first starting out, and he said, I don't know, I don't do that. In fact, I pay them extra so that they don't bother me. Um, He was disciplined and loving, loved his family, as everyone has said. And he helped people throughout his life, mostly behind the scenes, no, no fuss, no uh, bells or whistles. He just did things for people uh, at his own expense. Very kind and very generous, generous. 1997, we moved, my family and I, to Florida so I could go back to school. I attended graduate school, Reformed Theological Seminary. And my dad would call regularly once a week and see how we're doing. And uh, on one of those occasions, he asked me a question. He had been to a dinner party here in El Paso with some uh, very high society people. And he and my mom went. I don't know what the occasion was. But there was a man there who was, had, a, had a group of people clustered around him, and he was telling them a story, and my dad listened to the story. And what the fellow was relating is a very well-known person here, and if I told the name, uh, many of you would know who it was. He was telling it about a book he had just written, or just read, that was recently written. And in the book, it was explaining away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saying, you know, the the resurrection is a myth. It's just uh, something that people made up to make, give us hope, you know, after you die. Hopefully there's something, right? He said, but this man said that, that the reason they couldn't find Jesus' body after his death was because Jerusalem was filled with scavenger dogs who made their way into the grave and dragged the body out. Now, I don't know how they paid off the guards nor moved the stone, but these dogs are pretty clever. And so this man was, you know, fully believed the story. Well, it upset George to no end, and he asked me, he said, what? I, I've never heard anything. How could someone say something so crude and crass and blasphemous? What, what are they, why do people do that? Have you ever heard of this? And I said, oh, Dad, there's all kinds of stories out there. In fact, even the Bible records stories that the uh, Pharisees and the Jewish council paid the guards to you know, lie about what happened really on Easter morning. It really bothered him. The reason I think it bothered him, and it should bother us, those of us who believe 
in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is because when we come to a place like this, to our church, and we worship our Lord, and we, we as Christians are saying that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and because he did, this life so well lived is not meaningless. The alternative is this life ends here and it is meaningless. Let's be honest. There's nothing you rot in the ground. And so people, scientists and scholars, oh, Christians make up all this stuff because we're so afraid of death. We've got to create a God of our own, you know, in our own mind and hopefully there's a life after death and all of that. My dad lived a good life. But I promise you, when he stands before Jesus on the judgment day, he's not going to bring up any of those things we said. He's going to say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's probably of all the things about my dad, the greatest was over the years I watched his love for Jesus grow and grow and grow. This hope that we have for the resurrection is not a myth. It's not just a a pie in the sky, a hope. It is a fact, a fact of history. History, outside the Bible, tells us about a small man. He was short in stature. He was possibly bow-legged. He was frail, often in ill health, but he had a bright and dancing and beautiful, peaceful smile that was almost there perpetually. That was the Apostle Paul, and he was in prison for believing in the resurrection and for preaching and telling people you can have hope in Jesus Christ. Trust Him. And while he was in prison, the king of Judea, King Agrippa, was in the city where Paul was in jail. And so King Agrippa went to uh, the governor at the time and said, I want to meet this man who's in jail. He's very famous. So they brought Paul out into this, uh, this meeting hall with all of the Roman and Jewish and other dignitaries, very pomp and circumstance, and they all come in. Then they bring in the Apostle Paul, shackled hands and foot in chains to hear his story. Now listen. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. And he said this, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today because of all these accusations. For I know that you are an expert in the Jewish customs and controversies. Now please, listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given 
a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise that he made to our fathers. In fact, that is why our 12 tribes, the Jewish nation of Israel, zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for this hope. Now Paul stopped and before offering his defense he asked this question and I'm going to ask it to you because this cannot have no meaning. And we didn't make up this meaning. It came from somewhere else. Paul asked this question, and it resonates today. Why does it seem incredible to you that God can raise the dead? If there's a God, why is it incredible that he could raise the dead? Folks, we go through our lives terrified of death. If you say you're not, you're not telling the truth. We all wonder, what is it that happens when we die? My dad was surrounded by his family right before he died. And we will all remember him, and his grandkids will remember him. But slowly and slowly and slowly, that memory will fade and eventually nobody will remember him. Nobody except this man, this risen man, Jesus. Paul stood before Agrippa, bound hand and foot in shackles and chains, but I would argue, I would submit to you all this morning that he was the freest man in that room that day because he believed Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he knew that he would join him in that great resurrection. Christians have this hope we don't get recycled in a reincarnation. We don't get blended into some cosmic universe and have no meaning, no personal meaning, nothing. No, no. We come back in the same body that we went in the grave. I don't know how he's going to do it. It doesn't really matter, does it? But he's going to reconstitute us because of his son, Jesus, and because of George, because of you. 
Folks, we plunged this world. God made this world good. And human beings have plunged this world into hate. And death looms before us. And not a one person in this room has enough currency, has enough merit, has enough good works to stand before the risen king of the universe and say, I think you should accept me because of my good works. This man had good works. He would never claim those because he knows we don't have enough. You don't have the right kind of money and you don't have enough of it. And so when death comes and you hear about this life well lived, this man who had incredible integrity. I've told you in church, our, our congregation, it, he was very disciplined. He could walk by a tray of freshly cooked chocolate chip cookies with the smell, the aroma, and cold, ice cold milk. And he would say, I'm on a diet, I'm not going to eat that. I walk by and I think, which one am I not going to eat? integrity, honesty, kindness, goodness. But he still wouldn't claim any of that before this great king who died for us, took our place. Jesus, every Christian believes, he took our place on that cross. And every Christian believes he took our place in that grave. My dad believed that. I hope you will too. Will you trust him? Will you trust Jesus? I hope you will. Let us pray together. This is from the Trisagion service of the ancient church, the Orthodox church in which we were all raised, my family. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O God of all spirits and of all flesh, who has trampled down death and made powerless the devil and given life to your world, give rest to the soul of your departed servant, George, in a place of brightness, a place of beauty, a place of rest and repose where all the saints and sickness and sorrow and sighing have fled away. In that place where your saints reside and where you yourself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Eternal memory, Dad. Amen.